sermon series entitled Repentance for Revival as we look at these, uh, these four minor prophets who maybe don't get a lot of attention uh, uh, most of the time and uh, look at the message that they have for us today. Um, as you are turning there, uh, we got fun news this morning. Um, Casey Ellis, which you would know as Casey Gatson, her and her husband Jake had Jean Louise this morning. So they are, uh, we are excited for that family and excited what's going on. I don't have any, uh, any numbers in terms of weight or height or all that length, all that stuff. So you'll have to grab that from the family. Um, but uh, we are certainly excited to fellowship and to rejoice in that. I continue to tell their current pastor that the loan and lease is up um, and it's time to send them back. He has yet to do that. Um, so I'm going to be following a lawsuit now that we... Uh, now that we have a kid in the picture. So um, anyway, uh, hopefully you've had a good week. I know that there's lots out there as well, lots of our church family that are sick and are dealing with different things. Um, and we continue to pray for you all as well and uh, hope that you know that we are family. We celebrate the fun things, but we also grieve together and uh, we support one another. And so reach out and let us know about those things. We turn our attention right now, though, to Jonah chapter 3 as we continue the, this uh, amazing account in the scriptures of this prophet who tried to run from God and yet experiences God's discipline. And this morning, we get to see how that, all, how that all continues to unfold. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning, Jonah chapter 3. We're going to be reading all 10 verses, so uh, if, if in the middle of that you need to have a seat, that's perfectly understandable as well. But let's approach God's word together this morning. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by decree, the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful Lord, we're thankful for new life. Lord, we're thankful for family, both our blood family and our church family. We are thankful for fellowship. We are thankful that when we go through the hard things, the difficult things, that we do not do so alone. We are thankful that though we have rebelled against God, rebelled against you, 
that you have had mercy, that you have had grace. Father, may we proclaim that message in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we have gone through, as we have gone through uh, this sermon series together, Repentance for Revival, uh, we have been looking first at Jonah. In chapters 1 and 2, we see the prophet Jonah, who was already a prophet at this point, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that capital and of Assyria, and I want you to proclaim that they are in danger, that they need to change what they are doing. Jonah, though, having no compassion for the people of Assyria, having no desire to see them spared or God to have mercy upon them, runs the other way. He runs away from God's command. He runs away from Assyria and that city Nineveh. And it's kind of a ridiculous thing. We've already talked about this in the last two weeks, but it's a ridiculous thing to think that he can outrun God, that he can get away from him somehow. And what he finds is instead he finds God's discipline. Jonah meets, uh, gets on a boat and tries to sail away as far as he can get and, and attempting to do so. He finds that there's a great storm that God sends. He ends up being thrown overboard as he tells the, the sailors, hey, if you'll throw me over the side, the storm will stop. Sure enough, they throw him over the side reluctantly and the storm stops and calms. A great fish or a whale, depending on how you want to look at that, comes, swallows him, and Jonah spends the part of three days and three nights inside this fish. While he is there, he remembers the greatness of God, and he confesses that greatness. He confesses that salvation comes from God alone, and he repents. He, he says, look, I know that I've been running the wrong way, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill the vows that I have made. I'm going to do the things that I said that I would do. And so at that point, at the end of chapter 2, we read that the, the fish or the whale, whatever you want to call it, spits Jonah back out onto dry land. And Jonah now finds himself ready and willing to pursue what God has for him. And it's interesting, as you read that first verse in chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out, of it, call out against it the message that I will tell you. A couple of things before we get to our notes that I want to cover before we go much deeper in chapter 3. Number one, uh, there's, there's a small technical thing, um, but it's, it's something that we hear addressed by, the, by critics of Scripture that I want to just, just kind of give you a, a thought thing on. One is, and that's that the city of Nineveh is called a great city pretty regularly throughout the book of Jonah. And we see a number at the end of the book of 120,000 people that live there. And there's no reason for us to doubt that number. The number that gets questioned is the number that it took three days to go from one side of the city to the other. And you'll hear that pushed back against, against critics of the scriptures and critics of Jonah in particular. And so a couple things to think about here. One, the original language um, actually can be translated as either it took three days to cross or it three, took three days to cross two. So in other words, it took three days to journey to. That's not my favorite reconciliation of this problem, though. I think more likely it, what we see when the writer of Jonah talks about Nineveh, that he's talking about not just the walled city of Nineveh, but he's talking about the city-state. If you were like me and you learned about Gre ancient Greece sometime in your elementary, middle school, high school years, 
and maybe you didn't. Um, but uh, if you did, one of the things you learned is that there were times that when you talked about Athens, you were talking about the city of Athens. And other times when you talked about Athens, you were talking about the city-state. It was all the land that Athens controlled or Sparta or whatever. I think that's what you see in Nineveh. And it was a common practice that you weren't just describing the walled city. You were describing all the land that was around it. So when the Bible says that it took three days to cross through Nineveh, it wasn't that it took three days to get through the city. It was three days to get through all that land, to cross through it, okay? And just something for you to think about. More importantly, the second thing that I want us to see here in the first verse before we get into our notes this morning is where it says, Then the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And the reason that I want to highlight that for just a moment is because I think some of us struggle with this very thing. <clears throat> you see, Jonah heard this message at the beginning of chapter 1, and he disobeys, and he runs from it, and he finds God's discipline because of it, because God is a good father that disciplines his children and gets them back on the right path. The same is true for God. But you'll notice, Jonah goes through all of that. He goes through the running. He goes through getting on the ship. He goes through the storm. He goes through getting thrown into the ocean. He goes through getting swallowed by a, a great beast. He gets he goes through spending part of three days and three nights inside of it. He, he gets vomited out. He goes through all of that in chapters one and two. And where do we find him in chapter three? Right back where we started. Go to where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. Some of, some of us, in a, in a crowd this big, I'm guessing, there are some of us that feel like we are stuck in the mud in our faith. That we're not growing that we're not producing fruit, maybe that our prayers are even kind of hitting the ceiling, and we just feel stuck. Our faith no longer feels vibrant. And my guess would be, if that was you, you might want to check if there's disobedience. Because largely what I have found in my life and what we see in Scripture is that when God tells us to do something and we disobey he doesn't move on. We think we are like Jonah in the sense that we don't run from God's, God's command physically, but we run from it in our mind. We think, if I just disobey long enough, if I just don't do what God wants me to do long enough, he'll forget about that thing and we can move on to something else. But remember, he's a good father. Good fathers don't do that. Good fathers sit there and say, no, we're going to do this and we're going to stay here until it gets done. And if that means I have to suffer then so be it. And so God doesn't move on. And so if your life, if your faith is, is not that vibrant thing, if it feels stuck, you may ask, God, is there something in my life that I have disobeyed? And maybe it's for a long time that you've been wanting to deal with. Let's do that. Maybe it's a a particular sin, maybe it's a it's an act of obedience that he's called you to go and speak to somebody. Maybe it's got to do with service in the church. Maybe it's got to do with forgiveness and restoring a relationship. But God has been telling you, maybe for a long time, this is what I desire of you. And you've said, no, I'm not going to do that. And God says, fine, then we're going to stay right here. And we're not going to move. Jonah does all of this running and goes through all of this experience to find himself exactly where he was at the beginning of the book with God telling him, Go to Nineveh. Say what, I'm gonna, say what I tell you to say. 
And so this morning, as we go through this message, as we go through the Word of God, certainly, to a large extent, it is a word to those that maybe don't have a relationship to Jesus Christ. But there is also certainly a word here for those that have been believers for a long time, that just because you know him doesn't mean repentance doesn't apply to you. That most certainly it does. And if you want to live the life that God has called you to, that, that life that he talks about, that he comes to give life abundantly, then we need to remember that that means dealing with disobedience that's in our own life and repentance that needs to happen there. As we continue on with Jonah chapter 3, though, we see first Jonah and God's message. We see Jonah and God's message. Again, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. It says, so Jonah goes and he gives this message. It's, the message is this. It very, the brief annotated probably message is, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message that Jonah is to give. He's to declare to the people of Nineveh, the people of Assyria, that, if, that in 40 days that everything's going to be destroyed. That word overthrown there is actually the same word that is used for in Genesis to describe what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, same word there. And so if you know that story, it's, the idea is total and utter destruction. Like everything's leveled. Okay, that's the picture that's trying to be painted here. Here's the thing though. This is the same message. It may not, in terms of its content, this is the same message that the law gives. It's the same message of the prophets. It's the same message of John the Baptist. It's the same message of, the, of Jesus and the apostles. And the message is a message of warning and it is a message of repentance. Jonah is not unique in what he has been sent to do and what he has been given to say. It is throughout Scripture, from the moment of the fall until the day of judgment, God continues to send individuals, his followers, into a world to declare a message of warning and a message of repentance. The message of warning is pretty clear. He says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It shall be destroyed, leveled, annihilated. Jonah wants to make it clear and not, he doesn't parse words. He doesn't make it hidden. It's like, if you continue to walk in this direction, there is destruction ahead. And the same is true throughout Scripture. The law makes it clear that if you continue in an acts of disobedience, that there is destruction ahead. The prophets speak against Israel and other nations and say, if you continue to, to rebel against God, there is destruction ahead. Jesus explains to those that would listen, if you continue to follow yourself, if you continue to to put your hand out against God and say, I don't need you, I don't want you, I don't love you, that there is destruction ahead. The apostles proclaim the same message, and even today, the church should be proclaiming a message of warning. If you go this way, if you go this way, there is discipline 
And even more, there is judgment. And there were those that, that would hear that and they would say, well, that's judgmental or that's, that's harsh. That's unkind. <clears throat> there would be those that would say that doesn't apply anymore. But let me ask you this question. We've used this analogy many times over throughout. But if you saw someone that was about ready to be hit by a car, they were crossing the street and this car came barreling around the corner and there, there was going to be a collision and you knew it. Or if you saw someone and they were getting ready to put their hand on the, the stovetop, not realizing that the burner was on and that it was hot, would you worry about whether you were going to offend them in that moment? Would you worry about what their feelings were going to feel, feel like afterwards? Would you worry about whether they would think that you yelling at them was judgmental? Or would you do whatever it took in that moment to save them? Would you cry out at the top of your lungs, watch out, stop. Not worrying about how they were going to receive that message. Just that they would halt their actions so that disaster didn't come. And even, even more so then, if we who have experienced the grace of God and know the truth, if we see that disaster is coming, and certainly Jonah did, then how much more should we say, I don't care, I don't care if I offend, I don't, I don't really care if you think I'm being judgmental. What I care about is that you are heading a direction that is going to end in disaster. That it's going to end in death. That's what I care about. And so there's a message of warning here. There's also a message of repentance. Praise God. The message is not just simply you're heading that direction and it's all going to end in disaster. No, there's another part to the message. Now, in Jonah, we don't see this unfold very literally. We only see, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. But I would argue that in the 40 days, there is an implication that repentance and averting disaster is possible. Otherwise, why give them 40 days? Why say, hey, there's 40 days and then you're all going to perish? We see it not only, and we see it not only in the the warning of 40 days, but we see it in the response of the people in their repentance that there is an implication there. I would also argue that, that the scripture gives us this warning of 40 days and then Nineveh will be destroyed, that that probably wasn't all that Jonah said over the course of the days that he was there prophesying, but that the word of God is more interested in what's happening in Jonah's heart and what's happening in the heart of Ninevites than he is really about what's being said. So, but there's an implication here. There's a, there's a direct word of warning, but there's also the implication of repentance. And again, this is a message that's been declared from the beginning. Repent. Turn. Stop going that direction. Start going this direction. And you will find life. The law makes it clear as you read through the, all, the Old Testament that, that uh, even when Israel is being disobedient and they're heading this direction, if they will simply stop and turn around and say, we don't want to go that anyway, we want to go this way, that they'll find life. The prophets and all of the, some of the horrific things that they write about, that the destruction is coming for disobedience, they continue to give a message of hope that if you will repent and turn this way, there is life. 
John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles proclaim the same thing. If you're, they give the word of warning. If you go this way, hell is at the end of this path. But if you will repent, if you will turn around to ask for forgiveness, I am, God, I, I'm sorry I've rebelled. I'm sorry I've gone that way. I don't want to go that way anymore. And I want to follow you. You will find life. This is the message of the scriptures. And it's the message that we as believers have been given. It's not always an easy message. It's hard to tell people, hey, the things that you are doing are wrong and they're going to lead to something that you don't desire. They don't lead to where you think they lead. It's not easy to tell people that. It's not easy to, to give that warning. It's not easy to tell people, you need to repent. You need to turn around. Stop doing that and start doing this. But it is a message of life or death. Literally. Not just, not just physically, but for eternity. And so Jonah goes and he obeys he obeys this command upon his life. He no longer runs. He goes to Nineveh and he begins to proclaim this message of warning and repentance. And in doing so, God reveals something interesting. God reveals the means by which he often brings grace. He re reveals the means by he often reveals the means by which he often brings grace. When you look at the book of Jonah in its entirety, you'll see more, all, more and more and, and, and time and again where God talks about Nineveh as a great city, an important city. I don't think he refers to that just because it's big. I think he refers to Nineveh as a great city, and, I, and I'm not alone in this, that because he's going to show his grace to Nineveh. He's always had a plan to show grace to them that his name is going to be proclaimed there, that he's going to use them in a special way. But the way in which he goes about that is through Jonah, and it's the same today, and we're going to see this together. First, God uses his messengers. The way that God spreads this message of warning and repentance, the way that he spreads the good news of the gospel is through his messengers. Here in Jonah, it's the prophet Jonah. Jonah's the one that gets up and says this. But the reality is, is that this message and the act of delivering the message is one that is given to all believers. All Christ followers are given the directive to go and to share this message. And my guess is, is that if we, we went around and we began to ask people in this congregation how did you hear the message? How did you first respond to the message of grace that God gives, this message of warning and repentance and hope? How did you hear about it? How did you come about responding to it? Majority of us are going to have people in our lives that did that. Majority of us are going to say it was a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or a boss or a coworker or a Sunday school teacher they're going to say, there are, and many of us are going to say, there were many people that came and, and shared different parts of the message or shared the message over and over again until one day it just clicked. And I understood, this applies to me. I'm the one walking the wrong direction. I'm the one that needs to walk the other way. God could 
in all his power and all of his might, God could absolutely write in the sky this message. He could write the message of warning and of repentance and of grace so that all could see it. In God's great power, Jesus could return or he could send some of the prophets that have gone on before us and they could proclaim this message. But in God's great wisdom, he chooses instead to send you. He instead chooses to send you to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friend, to your family member. He chooses to send you. God not only sends his messengers, he also uses signs. Now, any good Baptist immediately probably gets uncomfortable when I say this. We, we talk about using, I start talking about using signs in our life, and immediately somebody in the congregation is going, now, Pastor Brian, remember, we're not Pentecostal. Like, easy, okay? But God uses signs in our lives, and it's interesting that when Jesus talks about Jonah, that he says that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, that he wasn't just a messenger, he himself was the sign. Now, Jesus doesn't elaborate on that, and so we're not sure exactly what that means. It could have just been that you had this foreigner standing in the middle of the city square declaring this odd message, and that was the sign. It could have been, as some, some believe and some scholars say, that the, the word, the, the account of Jonah running from God and being thrown overboard, there were witnesses to that. There were guys on the ship who saw that happen, and maybe they even saw the fish swallow Jonah and I don't know about you, but if I had that experience, when I got back to shore, I'd be telling somebody. Like, that wouldn't just be like, hey, let's just keep this between us buddies. Like, that would be like, you're never going to believe what happened to us on this trip. I'm never going in the ocean ever again. Like, somebody would be told, okay? And messages go far. And so you can imagine this story spreading, and it gets to Nineveh, and they've heard about it. And then this guy named Jonah walks in and goes, yeah, that was me. And this is the message of the message that God wanted me to deliver. And it's like, whoa. And if you're like, man, that's not very much time. That's not very much time for that story to get to Nineveh. Have you ever watched gossip work? <laughs> like, word gets around fast. I mean, when I was a kid, mom and dad knew about what I did that night before I even made it home. They were waiting me at the big door and going, so, do you have fun tonight? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And they're like, let's talk about this. And I'm like, how do you know about that? That happened 30 minutes ago. Like, gossip spreads fast, folks. Like, word of mouth does not take long. And so it's possible that he was the sign because they already knew what had happened to him. And he's just kind of filling in some gaps on the story, and he's sharing with him now this incredible message. But here's the thing. God still uses signs. Jesus was speaking when he talked about Jonah being assigned to the people of Nineveh. Jesus was speaking to a group of people. Jesus was speaking to a group of people that wanted a sign. And Jesus said, here's the sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the same sign that Jonah gave. Jonah being in the, the belly of the whale three days, three nights. 
Jesus says, I'm going to give you the same sign. And what does he do? He dies. He's placed in the grave three days and three nights to rise again. Jesus says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the resurrection. I'll come back from the dead. You want a sign? Here you go. And it continues to be our sign today, right? Like even today, as we, we look through the, as we look through the gospel and as we continue to hear the message of, of repentance and of grace, the, the ultimate sign continues to be the resurrection. Anyone that seriously studies the gospel and defends the gospel well will tell you the whole thing rises and falls on whether the resurrection is true or not. Everything falls on that. Everything rises on that. But here's the thing, even beyond that, God still uses signs. If we walked around the room and I, I asked you about your testimony and I said, hey, has God ever shown you something? Has he ever done something in your life that made something ultra clear? I would guess the vast majority of us would say, yeah, there's been a moment in my life or maybe many moments in my life where God has been speaking to me and he's done something in my life that was a sign that I would hear the message more clearly, that there would be validity to the message. And then I responded. So I'm looking around the room. I'm, I'm looking over at Mike and Charlotte and some of the stories that you guys have about your family. And man, there were some signs along the way. And I'm looking around the room and, and I'm not gonna pick on everybody, but there, I know your stories and, and I look at your lives and there were things that have happened in your life where God said, no, I'm serious. And here's... Here's some evidence of it. God still uses signs. God still uses signs. God also uses people. And he uses people that you wouldn't expect. You see a pagan king in this text. It says the king of Nineveh heard the word. In other words, he hears the message Verse 6, and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he gives this word out to the people. He says, everyone, we need to repent. Everyone needs to be in mourning right now. You don't think that carried some weight? For those that maybe were on the fence that were like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure how I would respond. When the king comes out with an edict and says, no, 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 really, everyone needs to be doing this. Everyone needs to be doing this. Proverbs, Proverbs 21 one says that God holds the hearts of kings in his hand like water and he causes them to go this way and that way however he wishes. You don't think God had a hold of this king's heart and made it go wherever he wished it to go so that it might accomplish repentance in these li the people's lives? Absolutely he did. God sends a message of, repent, of warning, of repentance. He uses messengers, signs, and unexpected people so that he may declare to everyone his grace. So that he may declare it to you. There's no accident this morning that you sit here this morning. God has brought you here that you may hear this message at this time that you may respond. He's been doing things in your life that have led up to this, that you may respond. He's used, used unexpected means that you may respond 
to this message. We see Jonah, we see in this chapter Jonah's, Jonah and God's message, Jonah and God's means, and we see Jonah and God's mercy. You see, I told you earlier that God always desired for these people to come to repentance. He always desired to show them mercy. And God uses his means to bring that about. We see here the response of the people in this passage. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We see the message of the of the king, I, we'll start just kind of in the middle of it. It says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that in his hands. He's saying, repent, stop doing what you're doing. Start, start doing something different. God uses his means to bring repentance to the heart of people. By the way, I want to highlight something just very briefly in verse five. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. I think there's an important thing to notice there. They didn't believe Jonah. It doesn't say, and the people believed Jonah. It says, and the people believed God. Oh, friend, if you're sitting here this morning, heaven knows, I hope you don't believe me. I hope you don't believe me. I'm human. I'm fallible. I'm not eloquent. I hope you don't believe me. I hope you believe him. That you believe his word that you believe his warning, that you believe his message of repentance, that you believe his message of grace, that you believe that he loves you. And that's why he's done all of this so that you would hear him, that you would believe him, not anybody else, just him. God uses all these means though to bring repentance to the heart of the people. And repent they do. And you see repentance. This is not just merely some, oh yeah, I, I guess I'm sorry for that. This is a deep grieving of the soul. Of an understanding of the depths of its meaning. You'll notice, I want to point something out really in verse 10 you, that you may not have noticed. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he, would, that he said he would do to them. You, you wouldn't know this unless you had a Bible that maybe highlighted it for you. But when it says turn from their evil way and God relented of the disaster, the words evil and the words disaster are the same in the Hebrew. The writer there is intentionally trying to show to the original reader that there is a connection between people's evil and the disaster that falls upon them. It is not happen chance. It is not God flipping a coin, but that human evil, human sin, which we have all participated in, leads to God's judgment. But also notice that the repentance leads to his mercy. Human evil leads to his judgment, but human repentance leads to his mercy. It says, when God saw what they did, they, how they turned from the evil way, he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He gives mercy. How can he do that? 
Is the murderer suddenly not a murderer anymore because they are just let go? No. How can a God of justice simply look at you and I who have sinned? We've all rebelled, whether it's lying or disobeying our parents, whether it's lust, whether it's jealousy or greed, whether it's pride. Whatever, whatever is your thing, we have all disobeyed. We've all, we've all fractured the relationship with God into deserving of discipline, deserving of judgment. How can God simply have mercy upon us? It's because of Jesus Christ. God came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. And I love what Jesus says again and again. He says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He was not a martyr. He purposely died on the cross so that he could take your consequences, my consequences, so that he could bury them with himself. That's how a, God, a just God can let us go because it has already been paid in full. So repentance, the act of turning, of saying, I don't want to walk that anyway, more anyway. I want to walk this way. I want to follow God. It brings mercy and mercy brings life. Remember at the beginning we were talking about the message of warning is if you walk this way, there is destruction coming. It is the end of all things. But oh, the good news is that when you turn this way and you say, Father, forgive me, God, forgive me for what I've done. I want to follow you. He says, I came to give life and to give life abundantly. Not only heaven, that's a wonderful gift. Like we can't even begin to imagine what that's like. Eternal life, that, that is so beyond our comprehension. I think when he said life abundantly, he meant right now too. And sometimes as Christians, I think we forget that part. But he meant right now too. He wants to give life. Ezekiel says something interesting. If you'll turn back a few pages to Ezekiel 33. We'll close with this. But Ezekiel is another prophet. One of the major prophets, just because his book is bigger than Jonah's and some of the others. But in chapter 33, God is, is telling Jonah or telling Ezekiel a couple of things. First, in chapter 33, God tells Ezekiel, hey, you've been given a message. You know what's coming. You know that the end of that road is destruction. And he tells Ezekiel pretty clearly, it's kind of like a watchman on a tower. If the watchman says, hey, there's destruction coming, and he sounds the alarm, and the people do nothing, then he's done his job, and he has no guilt. But if he stands on the tower, and he sees destruction coming, and he says nothing, then the blood of those people is on his hands. He says, you know about the destruction. You have to sound the alarm. You have to share the message but upon sharing the message, in verse 10, the people respond. It says in, verse, in chapter 33 of verse 10 of Ezekiel, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have said. So the people are saying, we get it. We've heard the message. Truly our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How can we live? 
So the people have heard the message. They've heard that there is the warning. And they desire life instead of death. And this is what God, how God responds. Verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn away from his, from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? O house of Israel. God is a God of justice. And he will met out justice in his perfect timing to all people. But he does not delight in the death of anyone. What he delights in is those that will come to him for life. And so he pleads with these people. And he pleads with you today, turn back. Turn back. This morning, if you are here and you have never known a relationship with him, maybe you have come to church your whole life. Maybe you've even participated in some of the ministries of this church or another one. But when you look in the mirror, when you lay awake at night, you know, I've done it all on my own. I've done it my way. And I know that I'm in the wrong. And this morning, you hear the word of warning. If you continue to go that way, it does not end well. Hear the plea of God. Turn back. Turn back. Come to me. This morning, it is not hard, my friend, to pray, to just simply speak to God and say, forgive me for going that direction. Forgive me for what I've done going that direction. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again, and I want to follow you. Now, that doesn't mean just, voila, <laughs> everything's okay. Your salvation doesn't end with that prayer. It begins when you make that commitment to follow him, you actually have to follow, but know that you are his. Know that he gives life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're what we talked about at the beginning of the service, that your faith is, it feels like it's stuck in the mud. And this morning, you, you have come to the realization that he is speaking to you as well. Turn back. Stop, stop running from him. Stop running from the commands that he's given you. Turn back. Find life again. Remember your first love in him and see if he doesn't awaken your faith in a miraculous way. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response. We believe that when God gives the message that the people should respond. We see it in, certainly in Jonah chapter 3. God gives this message of warning and repentance. And what happens? Immediately, the people respond. And so this morning, we're just going to have a time for you to do that. And so as these guys come back on stage, if you would just pray with me as we enter into that time. Father, we come before you and we, we thank you for your message. Lord, it, it's a hard message. Lord, no one likes to hear that they're in the wrong. No one likes to hear that danger's ahead. 
No one likes to hear that things have to change. But Father, I pray this morning as we hear that message that we would understand that it's a message of love and compassion. That if you didn't care about us, you would just let us keep walking that way. Father, I thank you that you used people and signs and unexpected means, Lord, to reach me. That, that you pursued me, that, that I could hear that and respond. That I could know life and know it abundantly. That I could know you. Father, I pray that you would do that for people in this room right now. You would give them the courage. You give them the, the peace that you would move them to respond in repentance. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.